So, hello, I am Maddie, and welcome to Ash Wednesday. Tonight, we are all here for one of the more humble Christian holidays that follows in the string of holidays after Christmas. So, Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. Lent is our 40-day journey that's heading all the way to Easter. Now, this is a humble Christian holiday because we're reflecting on our own mortality. We're reflecting on the fact that we will die. Now, to start off Ash Wednesday, I'm going to read from Genesis 3.19, which is the verse that Ash Wednesday originally comes from. So it says, By the sweat on your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So we all work. We all have jobs. We go to school. Sometimes we work to better ourselves, and sometimes we work for power and we work for privilege. But no matter how hard we work and no matter what we work at, we are all going to end up dying in the end. <laughs> so, <laughs> it sounds really morbid, but it's true. We're all going to end up dying and being buried into the earth that we were previously just living on. So, the lectionary from this Ash Wednesday, mine comes from Joel 1 through 2 and then 12 through 13. Uh, you can follow along on the, on the screens as I read portions of it throughout my sermon. So, it says, Bow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness, spread across the mountains. A great and powerful army comes. The like has never been of old, nor will it be again them in ages to come. So essentially, this verse is telling of the ending of the world. Judgment Day. So originally, when I thought of Judgment Day, I kind of imagined time like stopping. So like on a freeway, time stopping, cars stop moving, a light comes, and clouds fall apart. And God comes down on this golden heavenly throne, basking in the glory of light. Yay. But uh, apparently, that is not what Joel said. Joel kind of describes a very, very negative version of this. So he talks about darkness and blackness and chaos. Uh, and it's really just a very negative day. So it doesn't come out to be a positive day. Instead, it kind of makes me think of a tyrannical ruler, of a ruler who's coming down with this large sword and maybe a mace or something, who's coming to like beat everyone and persecute them for their sins. But that's not actually what Joel is trying to convey. That's not what the scripture is trying to say at all. Instead, it's saying, Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishment. So he's basically asking the people to come to him, not as a clean and holy congregation, but as the humans you are. He's asking us to come as we are. So he asks us to bring all of the luggage that we carry, everything that is a burden to us, because he wants to assist us. He is not that persecuting God. He is someone who wants to help us with all the things that we carry in our lives. So he wants us to come with hearts open and material things left on earth. He wants us to come again, as I said, as we are. So much like the first description that Joel gives, Ash Wednesday is a day of mourning. It's of darkness and of repenting, and we must use this time to reflect on all the baggage that we have, all the luggage that we carry with us as we live our lives. 
So for me, I am heading to college this fall. Yay, college, woo, cheer, claps, yes. So in the beginning, it was always a very fun time because all through like sophomore to the end of junior year and still now, I've got this one lovely question every human being will always ask me constantly. What college are you going to? And then basically what would happen is I would lovely list off the five colleges I've applied to. I'd say, you know, I really like DePaul. It's in Chicago. It's far, far away from here, up in the north. I can get away from everything. It's great. Or I could head to Lexington, just down the road, UK, beautiful campus, lovely. Center, maybe, Danville, nice foreign abroad program, like that too. Or Miami University of Ohio, there's a giant list and I would just list it off. And then at the end of this entire list, I would just say, but I'm not actually sure. And then we would continue on with the conversation. So now I'm kind of, as time has progressed and the deadlines are coming in and I have to pick a college soon, I kind of get more and more anxious. I've started to obsess over these little tiny details that don't actually have any worth for me right now. Things like immunization records or placement tests for my classes and so on. So now when people ask me where do you want to go to college, instead of just, you know, calmly listing out all the places I want to go, I kind of like ball my fist and I kind of give them this look like I'm upset, don't ask me questions kind of look. So it also makes me really, really quick to critique. All this frustration and this anger and this anxiety, it makes me really, really easy for me to lose control of myself. It makes it hard for me to be a good person. This is my negative side coming into the new year. It's the thing that, it's my luggage. It's the thing that I'm carrying with me. So it's kind of exactly like what Joel was describing earlier. It's that darkness and that blackness and that gloom in when God is going to come down to earth. So my own negativity is kind of my own version of living in those ashes that was described originally in Genesis 3.19. This is my baggage. This anxiety and this frustration, it's preventing me from being a better person. It's preventing me from being a good friend, a good sister, and a good daughter. So after reading the scripture and like mulling over it for a couple weeks, it actually kind of helped me release all this tension. It helped me think and like get into a better place and decide, you know what, I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to sit here. I don't want to be upset. I don't want to be frustrated. I don't want to feel like I'm going to like injure someone if they ask me another question. So on December the 31st, uh, right before New Year's, I kind of sat down really late at night on my computer and I decided I'm going to make a list. I'm going to make a goal list of all the things that have to be done for college and I'm going to write when they need to be due. And then I'm going to throw in a couple of extra things just for like moral goodness and whatnot. So some of the extra things I would throw in besides all of my college mess is to hang out with my grandmother more. So I've been going on Fridays to go bake stuff with her and it's quite fun. Uh, some things like putting my phone away so I can actually talk to the person across from me at the table. Or maybe something like taking some me time, you know, helping me with that anxiety, getting into a better place and a better space. I also want to experience more things. I want to go out into the world and be better than what I've originally been. So what I want to ask you now is what is your baggage? I want to ask you what is holding you back this year? What do you feel? It's only been like a month and two weeks, but there's, there's something. So maybe for you, it is ESPN. Maybe you are that dad with that phone, with the app, March Madness is coming up, and you are just sitting there and you are glued to the screen. Your child comes up and says, Dad, I want to go outside and play. You go, I'm sorry, 
uh, I, have a, I have LeBron James. I can't deal with this right now, kid. I'll, I'll come back to that. Or, or maybe your job is draining you. Maybe you are sitting there in your cubicle and you are just tired. You are just done with your job. Or maybe sometimes you just don't feel right. You don't feel mentally in the best place. So after you have identified whatever problem that you have, whatever baggage that is holding you down, you need to do what I did. You need to sit down and go, okay, I have a problem, first step. Second step, you need to go, okay, how am I supposed to fix this problem? So you could do like me, and you can make a checklist, and you can you know, write out all your little due dates of what you plan on doing, maybe throwing in some nice moral stuff to make you feel good. Um, or you make maybe a long life-term plan, make yourself like a three-year plan or a five-year plan, however they do that, uh, and say, you know, I want to accomplish this. Maybe I want to be financially stable. Maybe I want to, you know, feel better in the next couple of years. Maybe I want to have a different job. Maybe I want to be more educated. Stuff like that. Unfortunately, it's going to be really difficult. Uh, I know for me, sometimes it feels like that list is just sitting there and nothing is getting done, and I'm just staring at it, and it seems impossible. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it's helping. Sometimes this list, I just stare at it and I go, I'm still behind. I'm still procrastinating. I'm still not doing what I need to do. And it's hard. So the essays and the scholarships and the housing applications and the immunization records and the placement tests, all of those things on top of what I already do is hard. And it can drag me down into a really dark place sometimes. The good thing, though, is I know that no matter what I am, what state of mind I am, no matter how far I've gotten through my list, I know that there's always someone there for me. I always know that God is there for me, that God's presence is always there for me, that his graciousness and his mercy and his love will always be there for me, no matter where on earth I am. So I find this kind of to be in a form of different people. So uh, I see it kind of in my friend who likes to text me every morning, sends me a cute little emoji and goes, good morning, how are you? It's a great way to start out my day. Or sometimes I see it when my sister, Amelia, she likes to cut out little clippings out of a newspaper and like attach them to paper and slide them under my door. So I get a nice little YOLO in the morning, which is nice. Uh, good way to start out my day. So I want you to turn to the Lord when you are feeling down, when you are feeling like the baggage is too hard, the list isn't helping. The lifestyle plan that you've made is not working. You need to turn to God because he can help you. So I do not want you to wander around blindly. I don't want you to wander around being dragged around by your luggage. I don't want you to be held in the ashes of the things that are holding you back. I want you to instead renew yourself because lo and behold, Easter is coming. The holiday of hope and renewal and joy. And it's just the general season of hope and renewal. So I want you to pull the New Year's resolution right back out of your pocket where you have stored it for the last month and a half. And I want you to figure out what on it do you truly want this year. So don't, you know, try and do the entire like 45 list of things you plan on doing. Pick the things that you feel like will make you better. Something that will renew you. Something that will make you feel like you are a better person. I want you to actually try. I want you to face the baggage that you've acquired this year. I want you not to wander around with it. I want you to look at it, stare it dead in the face, and find your solution to it. So Ash Wednesday is a day of reflection. It's of looking back into one's life and picking out the things that are holding you back. Back from maybe faith or potential or all the other important things in your life, like family. 
So I want you to take what you have, and I want you to identify it. I want you to be able to know what it is, and I want you to be able to know that you can fix it. So that you can move into the new year renewed as a person, both as yourself and as a person in faith. So just as Lent prepares you for Easter, I want you to let Ash Wednesday prepare you for the rest of your year. Thank you. Well, um, happy Valentine's Day. I think I really would have appreciated you all taking someone you loved out to dinner tonight because then I wouldn't have to be up here. And don't worry, it is only 6.30, so you can, I will give you a moment to leave now if you want to. Okay, nobody's leaving, so I'll just go ahead and start. Um, I'm Hallie Rodman. I am 17 years old, and I'm a senior at DuPont Manual High School, and I am usually only right over there singing, but obviously things are just a little different tonight. When Corey asked me to preach, I laughed hysterically, said no way, and I just walked away. I would not. This is not me. But with people pushing and other people conspiring against me, I'm here standing in front of you. As we prepared for today, Corey gave Maddie and I a list of scriptures that we could preach on. And he kept saying, the gospel is usually the easiest to preach on. And I really think he was trying to help me out this being my first sermon and all, but um, I didn't listen, and I just went with my gut, and I chose 2 Corinthians instead. So I'm just going to dive right in and read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. We serve God in times of glory and shame. We serve him whether the news about us is bad or good. We are true to our calling, but people treat us as if we are pretenders. We are known but people treat us as if we are unknown. We are dying, but we continue to live. We are beaten, but we are not killed. We are sad, but we are always full of joy. We are poor, but we make many rich. We have nothing, but we own everything. As I sat with these verses, I can honestly say I was stuck. I was in this rut. I didn't know what to write or what to say. And then Corey said, you can use stories, like stories from your life. And I was like, okay, that makes things a little easier. I like stories. I like to watch movies and read books and listen to the stories behind songs. One movie that has really struck a chord with me recently was The Greatest Showman. And if you have not seen this movie, I highly recommend it. Not only was the story behind the movie amazing, but the songs were just inspiring. One song in particular that has really become an anthem for me is called This Is Me. The movie is about Phineas T. Barnum's circus, so the song is sung by none other than the bearded lady, but the song starts with the circus freaks being kicked out of Mr. Barnum's party that he is having with his upper class friends. One of the first lines in the song is, I have learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say, no one will love you as you are. Then the chorus follows. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood, I'm going to drown them out. I am brave, I am bruised, I am who I am meant to be, this is me. As I reflected on Ash Wednesday and these verses, I was reminded of these lines in the song. Oftentimes, Ash Wednesday is a time that we reflect on our sins and scars, and many believe that the ashes represent the dust that we came from, and others believe that the ashes represent grief. 
But for me, in a way, they represent hope. Hope that in 40-something days, we will celebrate the life of our Lord and Savior. Now, we're going to dive deeper into the scripture a little bit more, and I am definitely going to use more stories, but I want to focus on the juxtapositions. We are dying, yet continue to live, beaten, but not killed, known, yet unknown. As I read these things over and over and over again in my head, I made connections. For example, we are poor, but we make people rich, and we have nothing but own everything. Immediately, I was reminded of my youth mission trip to Detroit my freshman year. We worked with an organization called Rippling Hope that was owned by a couple that literally gave up everything to live in an RV behind a church and serve others. They had almost nothing, but were helping others around the city, and they had everything that they needed. They were rich in stories and in faith, even though they were not rich with money. Personally, the couple made me rich. I can honestly stand up here and tell you that it is the most fulfilling mission trip I have had to date. And I've used it in several, and I mean several, of my college essays because that week truly touched my heart. We are beaten, but we are not killed. I am 17, and I know I am just starting my journey in life, but I have been weighed down with heartache and hurt, and I know there will be so much more as my life continues. That being said, when I was 13 years old, I gave my uncle a hug on his birthday that I didn't realize would be our last. Two weeks later, he was gone. Not even six months after his passing, my grandfather, yes, my grandfather, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I got my first of many concussions. And if you know me personally, then you know I have struggled with a lot of concussions. I remember asking the question that everyone asks, why? Why me? Why my family? And then someone stopped me and asked, why not you? Why shouldn't you have to experience pain? Why shouldn't you have to go through this kind of stuff? As a 13-year-old, I did not know how to answer these questions. They were way over my head. And I was actually confused that someone would say that to a 13-year-old girl who thought her world was coming down around her. But looking back, it's exactly what I needed to hear. As I have gotten older, I have used this question to help me get through other problems, and I have found more of an answer for myself. I should have to experience pain and heartache and rejection, because without it, my faith would not be as strong as it is today, and I would not be the Hallie Rodman standing before you, beaten but not killed. You see, I believe God gives us what we can handle, and when we think we can't handle it, he is right there giving us the push or the nudge that we need to get through any situation. He knows that with his help, we can get through anything. He is carrying us through the valley of the shadow of death when we need it. One man that comes to mind when I think of beaten but not killed is Coach Dean Walker. Many of you, I'm sure, have never heard of Coach Walker, but he is the manual girls lacrosse coach. I do not play lacrosse, I play soccer, but I am friends with the majority of the girls in the program and I know Dean's story. Last year, Dean lost his wife to pancreatic cancer. A few months later, 
his daughter, a U of L student, was shot and killed at an art gallery. Through it all, Dean was there for his girls. Whenever you saw him, he was always smiling. He never missed a practice or a game, and he was always kind and asking the girls how they were doing or how their week was going or how, they, how this test went. This past October, Dean's son committed suicide. After three losses in one year, he continues to be a leader for the girls on his team. He is always smiling and always positive, even through the pain. Beaten, but not killed. We are known, but people treat us as if we are unknown. One of the worst feelings in the world is when you walk into a room of people that you know, but you, f you, feel, you feel alone. You feel like people know you're physically standing there and they notice you, but you feel like everyone else is foreign to you. One of the hardest things is when our friends expect us to keep up with social media in order to know what's going on in their lives, while our lives are feeling like a roller coaster ride. And after all that, we forget about building relationships the old fashioned way by talking to one another rather than building it through a screen. That is when you find yourself walking into that room of people that you follow on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat, and you feel lost. This is something I have definitely struggled with as a teen. I have found that when I'm alone, I pull away from the things and the people I love most. I have found that I don't have the confidence in myself and I am afraid. Afraid that I'm going to disappoint the people that I love. It got to the point where I couldn't feel this way anymore. I was done. I couldn't do it. So I made myself get up and be known. My favorite quote of all time is from Nelson Mandela. He says, I learned that courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. I have this quote on an index card taped to my mirror, so it is the first thing I read when I get up in the morning. Not only does this quote get me going, but knowing that I have a God that knows I am there. Every year on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, our youth go on high school retreat. This year, we were asked in our first small group sessions, why are we here? Some answers included, my parents made me come, or I came to hang out with friends, or I just came to play paintball. But one answer that really resonated with me was this person was there to get away from the real world. Later that weekend, my mom received a call. My brother had been in a sledding accident. I sat in this fog in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, for what felt like hours, but I had people all around me trying to comfort me and help me any way that they could. I had people like Evan Wilt and Taylor Pack and David Mozzie making sure my stuff together and making sure that I wasn't alone. I had youth leaders like Justin Williams and Casey Hardison working to find my mother and I a way home. We had talked about community and our spiritual community that weekend, and in that moment, I found my community. They are right downstairs worshiping in the gathering every Sunday. I found that my fellow seniors have my back through it all. We're a little family, but I have family in all grades. There are sixth and seventh and eighth and ninth and 10th and 11th graders and adults downstairs in that youth room that have my back. I am never alone. Thanks to my church family, 
and community, I have also been reassured that I will always have people here. Whether they're my best friends, my ministers, or the person I've only spoken to once. This place is full of people that are ready to help you in a heartbeat. Just look around. There's a community of people in this room that have your back. Known, yet unknown. With our God, no one is alone. Over the next 40 days, we will work toward eliminating the negative that we need taken from our lives. Knowing that we will have sacrificed something as Christ has sacrificed for us. Over this time, there's one constant. Whether you give up chocolate or TV or a bad habit or nothing at all, you are known. Christ is with us and died for us. He knows our struggles and he knows you. As the song says, when the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood, I'm going to drown him out. I am brave, I am bruised, I am who I am meant to be, this is me. God knows who we are meant to be, and he's always there. So, as we celebrate the beginning of Lent on this Valentine's Day, the best Valentine we all have in our life is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you.